Uh, Kirsty is going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, starting from verse 12 for us now. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and to admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and destructive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your Holy Spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, Kirsty. Let's pray together as we uh, look at this bit of God's word. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that, uh, as Sam has just reminded us, that we sing uh, to remember and to respond to and to rejoice in uh, the truths we find here in your word. Father, thank you that you are the God who speaks first to us, who reveals yourself to us through your word and by your spirit. And so we pray that you do that for us this morning and that we would be people who listen to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I wonder how you were feeling as you walked through uh, the doors this morning, as you came uh, into the King Centre, as you uh, arrived in the car park. How were you feeling uh, as you came to church this morning? Uh, Were you excited Uh, Were you nervous? Were you curious? Uh, What were you feeling? As we've already thought about this morning, in many ways, is a a particularly strange morning in the life uh, of the church. And so I imagine uh, it's a day full of mixed emotions for most of us. But I want you to imagine how you would have felt if you knew you were coming to a perfect church. Uh, If you knew you were coming to a perfect church, and not not just perfect uh, in its response to COVID, uh, but just an all-round perfect church, Uh, how would you have felt if you came to a church where you knew that the leaders worked hard to help you grow in your faith, and where everyone in the congregation always loved and respected those leaders uh, for their hard work? A church where no one ever grumbled or or gossiped about each other, but everyone genuinely loved each other and cared for each other all of the time. A church where those who were drifting into spiritual danger were lovingly corrected by their brothers and sisters in Christ. A church where people were quick to forgive those that had wronged them. 
I imagine a church where the weak were built up and encouraged as they were reminded of Christ's return and the security that they have in him. A church that, that is hungry to, to hear God's word and then not only to hear it, but to speak it to each other. A church where people joyfully praised God and prayed to him whenever they could. Imagine a church where the Spirit was so clearly at work, transforming people's lives, that, that everybody in the community knew all about those people, knew all about their love for the Lord Jesus and their love for each other. How do you felt coming to that kind of church this morning? Pretty good, wouldn't it? It would be pretty good if that was our experience all the time. It's the kind of church that, that I guess we long to be. And I imagine it's the kind of church that the Thessalonians long to be as well. You see, the, the church in Thessalonica was a good church, wasn't it? In fact, it was a great church. We've been looking at this church for the last term. And I remember Paul began his letter by thanking God for their obvious and genuine faith love and hope. He said in chapter 1 they were a model church to all around them as they welcomed and proclaimed God's word even when it cost them, even in persecution. The Thessalonians were a great church but they weren't a perfect church which is why Paul writes this letter to them. He, he wants to encourage them, doesn't he, that though they are the real deal, though they have real faith, they still need to keep going in that faith. Remember, he's ended every single chapter by pointing them to the day of Christ's return. And he's done that to urge them to, to keep going, to keep standing firm until that day. But as well as wanting them to keep going, Paul's also wanted them to keep growing, hasn't he? He wants them to keep growing as followers of the Lord Jesus, becoming more and more like him every single day. And so that's been Paul's aim as we've gone through this letter. And it's how he ends it in chapter 5 that we've just had read. These verses, you might have looked at them at Life Group, seem like um, it might seem like a kind of random collection. You know those when you get to the end of an essay and you run out of time and you just have to do all the bullet points with all your thoughts. It, it feels a bit like that, doesn't it? But I hope we're going to see this morning that this is not random bullet points, but actually Paul drawing together everything that he's said so far. And he does that all with this, this big aim to help the Thessalonians and us to keep going and to keep growing as we wait for Christ to return. So we're going to see three things this morning, three final encouragements from Paul as he draws his letter to, to a close. And the first is to keep growing in love. Keep growing in love. Uh, loving each other has been a major theme in this letter, hasn't it? Uh, right at the start in chapter one, if you remember, he thanked God for the Thessalonians that they were laboring in love together. And then in chapter 3, he prayed that that love would increase and overflow all the more. Love has been a big theme for Paul. And so he returns to it again in chapter 5 and verse 12. Just look there where he talks about loving your leaders. Verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, 
hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Paul says to the Thessalonians, look, you, you should love those who lead you, those who care for you and admonish you in the Lord. And he says you're to love them by acknowledging them and by holding them in high regard or respecting them. We've got to be clear straight away, though, don't we, that Paul isn't saying here that Thessalonians need to love and respect their leaders simply because of their position or, or their title. This is not some sort of unthinking, unquestioning respect for the pastor. Now, do you see, Paul says you should love them because of what they do, because of the way they work hard for the good of those they lead. And Paul's shown us, hasn't he, what that kind of hard-working love looks like back in chapter 2. Remember when he talked about his own life and ministry, he said, look, faithful, real ministry means faithfully and boldly proclaiming the gospel. It means teaching God's word to God's people no matter the cost. But more than that, he said that real ministry means not only sharing the gospel, but his whole life with them as well. His love for them was seen in the way that he cared for them like a mother and encouraged them like a father. And so here in chapter 5, he says, look, it's this kind of hard-working, loving leadership that deserves the love and the respect of the church. And that doesn't mean that that you have to agree with everything your leaders say and do. It doesn't mean you can't ask questions or, or talk to them about the things that concern you. But it does mean that, that you won't gossip or, or complain about them behind their back. It, it means that you won't try to undermine them or, or discredit them when they make a decision that, that you don't like. But instead it will mean making every effort to support and encourage your leaders wherever you can. And so can I say at this point that just, just how much I appreciate how you have constantly done this for me and for the other elders and other leaders here at King's Church. It has honestly been an absolute privilege and a joy over the last year to know your prayers and your encouragements and your emails and your letters and the quiet words of encouragement over the year. It has been a difficult year and, and as a church family, you have done this amazingly. But as much as we know and love and value your support and your care and your concern for us, we also know that the devil is desperate for the opposite to be true. We live in a culture, don't we, that is naturally suspicious of those in authority. This year has taught us more than ever to be sceptical about our leaders, to have this kind of them and us view, whether that's towards our boss, our government, or even our elders. And so our cultural context plus the devil's desire for disunity in the church means that, that we need to work doubly hard to show love and support towards those that lead us. We need to remember that we're not a business, we're not uh, an institution, we are a family. And that means our leaders are first and foremost our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And so Paul says, love them. Love them as they work hard to help you keep growing as God's family. Paul wants the Thessalonians to love their leaders, to keep growing in love for their leaders. But it's not just our leaders that we're called to love, is it? As we've already seen multiple times in the letter, we're also called to keep growing in love for each other. Working hard and laboring in love is not something that's just for the pastor or for the elders. It's something that each of us is called to do. And so in verses 14 and 15, if you look there, Paul gives three more examples of what it should look like to grow in love for each other. At first he says, we should warn the idle. Remember back in chapter 4, we saw that some in the church had stopped working and used all of their spare time to become disruptive busybodies in the church, going around causing problems, causing disunity in God's family. And so Paul says the loving response to people like that is to warn them, to gently but firmly challenge them on their selfish and disruptive behavior. Warn the idle, says Paul. And then encourage the disheartened. Back in chapter 5, we heard about those in church who are struggling with grief. Those disheartened by the loss of loved ones. And so Paul says, loving these people, well that looks like encouraging them. Reassuring them of the truths of God's word. That Christ will return, that he will come back and all Christians, including those who have died, will be with him forever. Warn the idle, encourage the disheartened, and then thirdly, help the weak. One of Paul's big concerns in the letter has been those who are weak or struggling in the faith. He was worried about those who might have been tempted to give up in the face of opposition. Or remember in chapter 4, to give in to their sinful desires. And so he says we should love the weak by helping them. Not by abandoning them, but standing with them. Walking with them, helping, to, helping them to fight temptation and to stand firm in the face of opposition. Help the weak, says Paul. And so you see, this is, this is for all of us, isn't it? We are all to keep growing in love as we care for our church family. Regardless of position or title, regardless of how long we've been part of the church... Each of us is called to love one another. And we're called to do it, Paul says, with a Christ-like attitude. You can see that at the end of verse 14 and into verse 15, where Paul says you're to treat everyone with patience, not paying back wrong for wrong, but seeking to do what is good for one another. In other words, loving each other includes our attitude as much as it does our actions. We're to treat people with the same patience and forgiveness and generosity that Christ treats us with every single day. And so there's our first big encouragement. Paul says, keep growing in love. Keep growing in love for your leaders and keep growing in love for each other. The second thing to say, he says, is keep growing in joy. Keep growing in joy. Uh, Verse 16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Back in chapter 1, Paul said that the Thessalonians had become known in all the region. All the surrounding churches knew about these guys. And one of the things they were known for was their joy. And not just joy in good times, not joy because everything's going all right for them. No, the Thessalonians were known for their joy in the face of suffering. Their joy despite persecution. Despite trials, despite opposition, the, the Thessalonians, they were, they were so gripped by the gospel, so amazed by God's grace that they could rejoice in all circumstances. They were known for their joy. And so here at the end of the letter, Paul says to them, keep growing in that joy. Rejoice always. How do they do that? How is it possible to rejoice always? Well, I think this kind of joy is linked to what Paul says next. Uh, look, one, look there in verse 21. He says, one of the ways that we can know this kind of joy is by praying continually, giving thanks to God in all circumstances. Uh, now, clearly, Paul doesn't mean that we're to literally be on our knees 24-7. That would be impossible. Now, he says, I think praying without ceasing is more about a posture, a heart attitude towards God. So that even when we're not consciously talking to him, we are always thinking of him. Praying without ceasing is then more than just having a daily quiet time, as good and as important as that is. It is living with God in view all of the time being constantly aware and thankful for his goodness to us. As John Piper puts it, the key to delight or to joy in God is to pray always. That is to lean on God all of the time. And never give up looking to him for help and come to him repeatedly during the day and often make the default mental state a Godward longing. Paul says we can rejoice always as we pray continually and also as we listen carefully. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Now there's lots of uh, debate around what Paul means here when he says don't quench the spirit. But as always, I think, I think the context of the letter helps us out. Back in chapter 1, if you can remember, Paul explained that the Spirit worked as God's word was proclaimed. And as the Thessalonians welcomed it in the joy of the Spirit. In other words, one of the key ways the Spirit works is through God's word. It is the sword of the Spirit. Which means rejecting God's word is one way to reject or to quench the work of the Spirit in your life. Now, we can do that in, in all sorts of ways, but Paul mentions one of them in verse 20. He says, don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Again, there's a bit of debate as to what Paul means by prophecy here. And we've not got time this morning to go into loads of detail, but generally speaking, I think we can take this sort of prophecy to mean speaking God's word to people in a way that will do them spiritual good. Again, think back to, 
to chapter 2, where we saw that the Bible is God's word, which means it carries God's authority. And so we're not free to take anything away from it or to add anything to it. God has said everything that we need for salvation and life in Christ in his word. And so in that sense, there's no new revelation, no new word that we should expect from God. We have However, the New Testament is full of examples of people speaking God's word to each other in a way that builds them up, in a way that does them spiritual good. And it often describes that as prophecy. In that sense, preaching can be prophetic. When I or someone else faithfully proclaims God's word, the Spirit takes what I'm saying and applies it to the lives and hearts of those listening. And so in that sense, it is prophetic. But, but it's not just preaching. When a Christian speaks God's word insightfully to another person, whether that's at a Bible study or over a cup of coffee, I think we can say that is prophecy. I'm sure you all know Christians who seem to have that ability or that gift of speaking God's truth in a way that, that just applies directly to your situation and so does you good. Those people have the gift of prophecy. And that is something Paul says in verse 20, we shouldn't treat with contempt, we shouldn't dismiss, but instead we should value and welcome it in our lives. We should receive that kind of prophecy knowing that it's one of the ways the Spirit chooses to work in us, his people. Don't treat it with contempt, says Paul. Don't quench the Spirit. But do be careful with it. Remember, only, only the Bible is infallible. Only the Bible is God's authoritative word. And so, verse 21, we need to test everything against the Bible. Does what this person is saying to me fit with what the Bible teaches? Does it come from a heart that, that knows and loves God? Will it... If the answer is yes, if, if it will build up, if it is from God's word, well, then Paul says we should listen. We should welcome the Spirit's work in our lives. If the answer is no, then we should reject it. And that goes from everything from a sermon to a conversation over coffee. So how do we keep growing in joy? How do we rejoice always, like Paul says? Well, he says you can do that by praying continually, living life in constant communication with your Father in heaven, thankful to him always, and by listening carefully welcoming God's word into your life, knowing that that is how the Spirit works in you. Keep growing in love, keep growing in joy, and then finally keep growing in holiness. Paul ends his letter by praying for the Thessalonians. And just like his prayer back in chapter 3, his focus is on their sanctification or their holiness as they wait for Christ to return. Look at verse 23 with me. Paul prays, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. 
Paul prays that the Thessalonians would keep growing in holiness. And again, this is not a new theme in the letter, is it? In chapter 4, verse 3, Paul said it was God's will that you should be sanctified. His will that you should live holy lives in obedience to him. And remember that, that was in no way to earn God's favor. It wasn't to earn his love. No, we already have those things in Christ. It's, it's through faith in Jesus that we are given a, a new status. Uh, the status of holy, blameless children of God. Not because we've earned it, not because we have done anything for God, but because of what he has done for us. We've been given a new status in Christ, and it's from that new status that we're then called to please God by living according to who he has already made us to be. In other words, we've been made holy, and so now Paul says it's God's will that you would be holy in all that you do. It's his desire that we would keep growing to be more and more like Jesus every single day until he returns. That is God's purpose. That is God's will for your life. And the amazing thing is he is he's so committed, so committed to that purpose, so determined to make you more and more like his son that he will do that work in you himself. Paul prays, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Sanctification, being made more holy, is something that God does in us. It is his work. And God's work never, ever fails. Verse 24, this is probably my most, my favorite verse in the book. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. That is the great encouragement, the great hope for the Thessalonians and for us. That when God starts a work in someone, he is 100% committed to finishing that work. He won't give up. He won't be stopped. He won't fail. He is faithful. And he will do it. And of course, that's not to say there's nothing for us to do. It's not a license to to sit back and let God do his thing. We've just speedily worked through 17 commands in 10 verses. We We are called to actively, urgently, intentionally grow in love and in joy and in holiness every single day. But we do all of that in complete and utter dependence upon our faithful God. Encouraged and spurred on by the knowledge that that he is the one at work in us. He is the one enabling us to keep going and to keep growing as followers of Jesus. And he will keep doing that right up until the day Jesus returns and we go to be with him forever. Paul draws this letter to a close, a letter of encouragement to the Thessalonians and to us, and he ends it by saying, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Let's pray together.
Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you this morning for your faithfulness. Father, what, what a joy it is to know that you are the God who saves and sanctifies us in your Son. Father, please help us this morning to have all our confidence, all our hope, all our joy in you, our faithful God. And Father, help us to live our lives in response to that and for your glory, we pray. Amen. We are going to sing again now. Uh, Paul's letter has been a big encouragement, hasn't it, to keep going as followers of Jesus, as we look to that day when he returns and takes us to be with him forever. This song uh, encourages us to do just that, to keep going, to keep following Christ. Uh, So when the band are ready and start playing, please uh, stand together and sing.